Now the others got applause when they left the stage, so I thought maybe we would. You want to make sure that's on? I do too. By the way, I had chalk on my pants this morning, Anthony. I did. I thought, how did I get chalk on my pants this morning? But uh, anyway, we'll blame that on Anthony. You know, I am excited to be here today because it's graduation Sunday. And I thought back to, you know, it's been some time when I graduated from high school and I kept thinking, what were some of the things that you were looking forward to when you graduated from high school? Just, just call them out. Going to college. What else? Freedom? Right? No curfews? Right? We're going to make a ton of choices after we graduate, aren't we? I remember when I graduated, I thought somehow or another it was kind of like the gate had been opened and the world was mine. And, you know, mom and dad, I love them dearly, but I get to make my own decisions now. There was the sense of, I'm an adult, whatever that meant, right? I soon found out that means you're doing your own laundry and you got to buy your own stuff, all those kind of good things. But I thought a lot about what does it mean to be chosen? We're going to talk about that this morning, and I would love for our seniors as well as for the parents and everybody else just to listen in on what it means that God has chosen us. Last week, we talked a little bit from Psalm 139 about how God knows everything about us and still loves us. And we also learned that our days have been appointed for us, that we're not here by accident. God chose us for this generation. And I get excited when I think about these young seniors who are going out to influence the world. One of the things my granddaughter loves to do is to take those pesky flowers that show up in the yard, you know, the yellow ones, and blow them, right? They disperse, and they go everywhere, and I hope that the wind carries them to my neighbor's side, right? But that's what I think of when I think of the seniors who have this opportunity to spread out wherever God may take them. It was incredible to me. I went to college and I met a young lady from Pakistan. Now who would have thought that? That I would have married a missionary's daughter from Pakistan. Yeah? And when I look back at all of the things that we have done in our life and the things that have happened to us, I'm impressed with how God weaves it all together. Do you believe that our God is that type of a God? That he was the creator God, that he continues to be the creator God. And this generation has been equipped to take care of what's going to come for that generation. And we get to be a part of that as a church. We get to be a part of that as a family. We get to share with them the good news of Christ. We get to anchor them in God's word. And we need to nestle them with love and support because we know that they're going to need it just like we did. They are being dispersed. But as I think about it, I also want them to keep grounded in a few things. I want them to continue to see as God sees. And I want them to understand the nature of the relationship that they have with God. This morning, I want to focus on 1 Peter 2, 9 to 10. It's sort of our launching pad. 
Peter is actually writing to the church that has been dispersed. It's under persecution. Just like that dandelion was spread. There is now persecution coming against the church. The church is primarily at this point made up of Jewish converts. And they have been spread out and they have been dispersed from their homes. How many of you have lost your home in your past? Can't go back. Yeah? Got a restraining order. No, we won't ask for that. (laughs) See, when I graduated from high school, about three years later, because my dad had Parkinson's disease, he was diagnosed at 38. Yeah? And he lost his body shop. We, We lost the house, all those kind of things. And while I was away at college, I lost my home. I, we didn't have Christmas and Easter where we used to have it. This sense of being without a base was something unnew to us. But it was shortly after that that I got married and, and then we started creating our own base. But then in the ministry, uh, you know, we're kind of like fruit, you know. You can only keep them around so long and you've got to get some new ones. And so I think, what have we been, how many times have we moved? 20 21 times, okay, yeah. There's some people out there that didn't like us. No, that's not true, that's not true. But the idea that somehow or another we have been dispersed, and Peter is writing to the dispersed church, and he's reminding them to who you are. He says, but you are a chosen race. Different than what they had grown up with, the 12 tribes and the the priestly orders and all of those things. All of a sudden, there is something new that has taken place. He says, you are a royal priesthood. Not just an ordinary priesthood, but you are the top of the class. A holy nation. A people for his own possession. That you may proclaim the excellences of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You have a purpose and you represent God himself. You are his royal priesthood, a holy nation. When I was in high school, uh, the thing that we had was U-Club, Ulysses Tigers. We had bright orange uh, sweaters uh, with a black U right here, right? And that's where everybody knew you were from Ulysses. And we were told we had to represent the school. When we went to a sporting event, we had to wear a necktie, right? I didn't even know how to tie one, but, you know, you get those that got the little clip. Those work pretty good, yeah? And we were told how we were to behave because we represented our school. When we go out, he says, you are a royal priesthood. You represent the kingdom, And you know, I thought a little bit about what we find in the Great Commission in Matthew 28. Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. There's something new that has taken place. In Romans chapter 3, he talks about a new righteousness that has come. It's not following the law. It is not that we have to be perfect in order to represent God. Now we are covered by Christ's righteousness. He says, now that the cross is behind me, now that the tomb is empty, now there is a new righteousness that comes from God, and it is a righteousness of faith. You can read in Romans chapter 3 that it tells us that there is no one who is righteous, no one who measures up to the righteousness of God. 
Now, a lot of times when we talk about righteous people, we start comparing ourselves to them, right? But here, when we talk about God's righteousness, we're talking about, does our life compare to God? Who of us can stand? Because we all know that everybody has sinned. Turn to your neighbor and says, you're a good sinner, right? Because we are, aren't we? Every single one of us have sinned. Every one of us, it says, is deserving of having a broken relationship with God. But Jesus says, all authority in heaven and earth have been given to me. And then he says this, go therefore, because of this, because of what I've done, you are to go therefore. And the word for go is not a one-time thing. It's your entire life. It's actually, this word could be uh, translated as a journey. As you journey, make disciples. As you are going, and you will go in many different places. For the early church, they were being dispersed from the temple, that place where they felt that God lived. In the beginning, the church, they thought that it was somehow or another, that it would be just like it had before, except with a, a touch of Jesus or something. They didn't quite get it. But Jesus says, this is something radical. No longer are we bound because the law has been satisfied. All authority has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Now why would we baptize them into the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit? It's a sign of adoption. It's a sign of covenant. It's much like a wedding vow where we say, I am choosing to stay with Jesus. Jesus is my Lord. I have accepted Christ as my Lord and my Savior. I believe that he is the Messiah, is what we are saying. And he says, Baptize, or teach them all of these things and observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always. I will go with you throughout the years. I will be with you wherever you go. But I want you to go under my authority, under the new covenant, and I want you to teach the good news. You are my royal priesthood. And we are to do as Jesus did. And we are to create community. You see, here's one of the things that I know, and parents, you know what I'm talking about. If you've had a child, uh, who's grown up, found somebody, and married them, and now you have to deal with what? In-laws. That's right. They grew up differently, didn't they? They have different ways of looking at the world, and all of a sudden, our children and their children are coming together, and they're creating a new community, if you will. A new family. And it's exciting, but it's also a challenge. But the idea that God's business is creating opportunities for people to come and join and be a part of the body of Christ. This idea that we are called to create community. Now in the old community, you had to be perfect and you had to be righteous and you had to follow the law. You know, the Pharisees actually had it down to how many steps you could go on the Sabbath, right? If you went too far, now you're on a journey. And you're not supposed to journey on the Sabbath. Okay? They had rules for everything. 
And now, all of a sudden, this community doesn't have to be based on that. In fact, it's just the opposite. The idea that all of us have sinned. There is no one perfect, nobody who's going to measure up. And that's incredible, isn't it? That when we begin to look at people, we realize how Jesus looked at people. And I promised you last week that we were going to talk about wabi-sabi. How many of you looked it up? Anybody look up wabi-sabi? Yeah? I'm, I'm told that there's somebody here that has, has taught and worked in Japan. Is that right? Okay, if I mess this up, please keep your mouth shut until I make my point. Okay. But wabi-sabi is actually a philosophy that they have in Japan uh, that, that talks about embracing that which is imperfect. And then there's also a thing called kintsugi that repairs that which is broken. And I happen to have uh, one of the dishes that is made in this context. The idea is that sometimes if you have a cup or something that gets broken, what do you do with it, right? Toss it out, right? Yeah, that's what thrift stores are for, right? You go get something else, right? Or you try to do the, the gluing thing so that you can patch it so nobody else will notice. Guys, how many of us have broken a lamp and tried to do that, right? Hoping, you know, that the wife didn't notice, that you knocked it off, and, and we try to make sure that it's not seen. We try to hide that imperfection. But kintsugi is something different than that. Kintsugi actually takes gold and they weld the pieces back together again. That's what it is. And in fact, the dish becomes more beautiful and more valuable because it exposes and highlights that which is broken. Okay? Now think about what Christ has offered us. He says, you're not perfect anymore. And you don't need to hide it. In fact, I want you to tell people that you're not perfect. When we come to church, we don't have to pretend that we're perfect because none of us are. Turn to your neighbor again and say they're a wonderful sinner. Right? Some of you are enjoying this. Yeah? The idea that God sees beyond our flaws and he provides a way for the healing to continue. And we can speak about the broken places in our hearts. But it's not always easy, is it? Because sometimes in our journey, God brings us to people that are pretty broken. And yet, those are the ones that Jesus also wants us to meet. For Jesus, uh, boy, where did that go? That went way forward. Okay. Well, that's okay. Maybe I can go back. There it is. It says, as Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew. He's a Jew, but he's employed by the Roman governor. He has made an agreement that he will take taxes from his fellow Jewish people and that he will keep some of it for his living and that he will pay the rest to the governor. That's how they paid for their roads and all those kind of things. And there was a man by the name of Matthew who said he was sitting at his tax booth and, and Jesus walked by and said, follow me. And because of God's calling upon Matthew's life, he became one of the apostles. Now imagine that Jesus is wanting to establish this new covenant and establish that it is in fact, we are saved by faith. He calls out what they would have considered to be the worst sinner in the world. If you were a tax collector, you were excluded from the fellowship of the temple. You couldn't go to synagogue. 
You are outside of the faith in their view. It says he arose and followed him. And it says, and as Jesus reclined at table in the house. You know, it's pretty intimate when we have meals with one another, isn't it? And in that culture, it really was. And it says that Jesus was there at table with him. And it says many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. Now let me be clear. The tax collectors earned their reputation. They were not always nice people. They had no ethics, most of them. And they associated with people that kind of accepted them at their level as well. We'll just say it that way. They were there, and it says they were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And it says, and when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teachers eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician. But those who are sick, go and learn what this means. For I desire mercy and not sacrifice. And I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Now, righteous here, what does that mean? How many of us are righteous in terms of being equal to God's righteousness and holiness? Jesus said, I'm not calling any of the righteous because there aren't any. But I'm having lunch with sinners. And I have come to call all sinners. And in fact, Jesus did have Pharisees who followed Jesus, who accepted him as Lord. He said, but I have come not to call the righteous, but the sinners. Now, what I really liked was what we saw in the previous verse, where it says that Jesus saw Matthew. He visually saw who Matthew was, and he saw him not as somebody who was just a tax collector, but somebody who was lost and in need of redemption, just like all of us. And the righteousness that he speaks about here, he said, I've come that I might call the sinners into a new type of righteousness with his righteousness by faith in Jesus. Now you all remember the story of the prodigal son, right? When he comes home, what garment is he given? Do you remember? Whose garment is it? The father's. And who deserves the very best? Who gets the best robe in the house? The fathers, of course, right? You know, Father's Day's coming. So, whatever you did for mom, double that, all right? Okay. <laughs> the idea that when we put that robe on, that we're covered with Christ's righteousness. That's what we need to understand. He says, I see you and I know that you're a person that needs to be held in that way. And you know, as I thought about this, I asked myself this question. Do I still get that? I've been a follower of Christ now for some time. Do I remember that the only way that I got into the kingdom was through Christ? Or do I somehow or another think that I've earned a spot on this team and I deserve a spot at the table because I've attended church so many times? or I preach so many sermons, or I've got a degree, or whatever it might be. There are times that we lose sight, and we stop understanding that there are people around us, as we are going, that need to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. And this, um, yesterday I used this in a, a funeral message that I had for a very sweet lady. Uh, she died at 94. 
But throughout her year, she was always a prayer warrior. She was always involved. And I thought of this psalm from Psalm 92. It says, the righteous, those who love the Lord, he says, they flourish like the palm tree and grow like a cedar in Lebanon. Uh, they're planted in the house of the Lord. They flourish in the courts of the Lord. And they still bear fruit in their old age. They are ever full of sap and they're green. Now, I want you to understand something. We're going to get old, seniors. It's going to happen, right? Sooner or later, you might end up with furniture's disease like I did, right? Don't know what that is? Dr. Lowen, what is that? What's that? Sitting on the furniture all the time? No, doctor, come on. It's when your chest drops into your drawers. So, <laughs> I mean, you're a doctor. You should have known that one. Maybe Dunlop disease, you know, when it Dunlops over your belt. Yeah, it might happen. <laughs> but here's the thing, as our bodies age and as we get older, the soul matures, it doesn't age. The soul does not age, it matures. We are created for eternity. And he says, those in their old age who still have a green and sap-filled life, a spiritual life, understand that God is still at work and there are still people that they can minister to. Lavella was still talking to people about her faith just days before she passed. A sweet spirit. Now, she had a vicious streak, too, if you ever got into a domino game with her, but that's okay, right? Yeah, we're all made differently. And this verse that was sung for us so well this morning from John 15, which says that we are to abide in him. And as we abide in Christ, as we stay under his love and under his compassion, that we will continue to bear fruit. And that apart from that, we're not going to bear fruit. But God expects fruit. He expects us to change the world. There are other stories that we could talk about about Pharisees. There was a parable that Jesus told about a, a, a Pharisee who went to pray. And it says there were some people who trusted in themselves that they were righteous. And he went to the prayer and he says, I thank you that I'm not like this Pharisee. I like this the tax collector. I'm sorry. I'm better than that. But the tax collector was at that broken place where he was needing community. Where he was desiring fellowship. And he asked for mercy. Or perhaps it might have been about another song that we have sung. Zacchaeus, right? You all know about Zacchaeus? You know, he was six foot two, something like that, right? No? No, he was a wee little guy, right? And it says that uh, when Jesus entered Jericho and passing through, he says, behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, and he was a chief tax collector, not just an ordinary chief, uh, tax collector, but the chief. And he was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but a kind of the crowd he could not, because he was small in stature. And so he ran ahead and he climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. That's not on the right slide, is it? Sorry. And it says, and when Jesus came to the place, he looked up. And he said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry down, come down, for I must stay at your house today, for I must be with you. Jesus again saw Zacchaeus. Now, how did Zacchaeus know to look for Jesus? Do you remember? How did Zacchaeus have any curiosity, do you think, about Jesus? So Jesus called an apostle by the name of Matthew. 
right? And Matthew held a feast for Jesus. And it says there were tax collectors and sinners who came to that meal when Matthew was called to be an apostle. Do you suppose it's possible that Matthew and Zacchaeus knew each other? Do you suppose it's possible that the word got out that Jesus loved Matthew and Matthew was one of his followers? That this person who had been broken, this person who was cast aside, was actually selected by God to, to, to represent and, and to tell the good news? Do you suppose that's how Zacchaeus got to know about Jesus? And again, it says that Zacchaeus was seen by Jesus. And Jesus says, I need to have supper with you. Seniors, you're going to have fellowship with a lot of people. Older folks, you still have meals left that you can share with others as well. In the Central District, my job is to help churches to grow in a way that they begin to see what's taking place around them. The world is not changing. The message is not changing. There are still people out there who need to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. There are still people out there who are out of fellowship with God and out of fellowship with other people. There are lonely people out there. And I want to invite you to our convention that will be taking place in October 25 through 26 in Sioux Falls. It will be our 109th Central District Convention. And we encourage you to send your delegates and to come because you're going to hear stories of what God has been doing uh, within our district. Right now we've got the 36 churches, 8 states, Nebraska, South Dakota, North Dakota, Montana, Minnesota, Wisconsin, Indiana, and Iowa. And we are trying to do three things. And I think these are the three things that are important for us as we think about whether or not we're a disciple and whether or not we're growing and we're producing fruit. And those three things are that we need to be evangelistically minded. That we need to see the world around us as lost. And we need to understand that it's God's desire that those people be reached by us because we have been ordained for such a time as this. That we need to be intentional about what we study. That we need to be people who understand the truth. Because we're told in the last days that there will be people who will rise up. And they will pervert the truth. And the third thing is that we need to develop leaders behind us. It's amazing how fast it happens, isn't it? Somebody the other day says, are you thinking of retiring? And I'm thinking, well, no. I was thinking of, should I do skydiving or something? I don't know. I'm just... I'm not ready to retire. How did it get to be that point? And so I'll ask you three questions, church. Can you explain the way of salvation to somebody? If somebody wanted to know, how can I be saved? What would you do? I hope that your heart rate would go up a little bit, right? But where would you turn? What would you say? We can quote the scriptures. That would be good things. But I hope that, that you would also begin by saying, as a sinner, this is how it happened for me. We are called to give testimony. This is what happened in my life. This is how I met Jesus. And then to be able to show them in the scriptures the things that we've talked about. Second question, are you able to discern the truths of the scripture? When you hear things from coming out of people's mouths, are you able to say that's not true? 
Are you comfortable with looking in your Bible and finding it where it might be? You don't have to know everything. But are you in a place where you can say, I know the scriptures and I know where I can look or I know how to find it. Are you a student of the word is what we're asking. If somebody come up and ask you a question, what would you say? Well, let me get you in touch with Anthony or, or Roy. Or can you do it? Can you say, well, let's look at that together. Are there things that you can do? And number three, are you mentoring someone else? Encouraging them in their faith? One of the great things that happened to me in my life was that there was a church that believed in me. And they actually sent me to seminary. And they paid my tuition. And I've often been grateful because I did not know the people that necessarily gave that money. But I know that there were people who were wanting the next generation to be fed. That wanted to provide leaders for the next generation. If you're a Sunday school teacher, are you training another? Are you creating opportunities for others to serve? Are you taking them with you? It is the mentoring that we ought to be concerned about. Those are the three things that we need to do is, and be called a successful church. Our people are able to share the good news of Christ through evangelism. They're able to be people of the student, uh, students of the word. And the third thing is that they're looking behind them and they're bringing others up. Because we're one generation away from the message of Christ being silenced. If this generation doesn't share, who will? We must train them and encourage them. In the Central District, we also have four church plants. We have Renewal MB, which is in Rapid City. It's up here on the right. John and Michelle. Uh, their ministry is to the nun and the duns, the people who would identify themselves as having no religion, are being done with church. And they're growing. They meet uh, in an art center in downtown Rapid City. And then there's Redemption, uh, that is over in Owatonna, Minnesota, left-hand corner. His name is Christian Coase. They have right now 45 people who are attending. They started about a year ago. And they've had 14 baptisms since the first of the year. 14 of the 45 that are attending are brand new Christians. They're people who have accepted Christ as adults, who have come out of some things and felt like they were castaways. And because of Christian's work, he's been able to minister to those people. You know, there's a statistic, a statistic I can't say it, right? A statistic that says about 90% of the people who become Christians do so by the age of 18, right? So the natural conclusion would be that we need to pour a ton of money into our youth ministry, right? Yeah? No, that's not it. That means that we're doing a poor job of reaching people who have kind of gone on their own way and established themselves and need a way to get back. There are thousands and hundreds of thousands of people that we will come across who believe that this is the way I am and that God wouldn't accept me and that there's not a church in town that would want me. And yet there are people that need to hear the good news of Christ. As you are going, make disciples. Grace International Church in New Jerusalem Temple, uh, we have Samuel over here, and this is Pastor Claude Tambatamba. And they're both ministering to ethnic groups that are just now immigrating into the United States. And they're coming here and they don't have a community. 
One of the things that I have found in working with them is that they will take the, the, the most menial job they can get, but many of them are highly educated and they've been, come through persecution and they've landed here in the shores and they're trying to create a community of faith where they can feel supported and loved and they can have a place, a place. That's what we hope to do in the Central District. We do those three things. We want to help the churches to evangelize. We want them uh, to be equipped in order to train. And we also want them to help us be involved in developing leaders. And I believe that those are the things that God wants us to do. Because I believe by doing those three things that we have established that we are... All right, who stole my last slide? There it is. Okay. That we're setting the table for them. Setting the table for others to come. And so I am so excited for our graduates because, seriously, ah, they're wonderful and they're great. And they're going to go out and meet so many new friends. They're going to be challenged in so many ways. But I want you to please remember that you are covered by God's love. That if you've accepted Christ, you wear his cloak of righteousness about you. That you're not saved because you're good or beautiful or young. You're saved by faith in Jesus Christ. And the second thing I want you to know is that as you are going, you are called to be ambassadors for Christ and you will change the world. And you will interact with so many people and you'll have opportunity to share the things that you have learned. And I also want you to remember that you will meet people who are broken and who felt like they've been discarded. And I would pray that you would have the eyes of Jesus, that you would see them as he sees them, loved, Jesus said, I'd leave the 99 to go find the one. As I desire is that none should perish, that all might come. We hope you've enjoyed today's message. If you would like to know more about Bethesda Church, you can check us out on the web by going to our website, which is BethesdaMB.org. That's Bethesda, M as in Mary, B as in boy, Org, or check us out on Facebook by searching for Bethesda Church of Huron. Have a blessed day.